Hi, everybody. Welcome into another edition. This is Cross Functionality, the show connecting coaching, baseball, softball, male and female, hosted by former college baseball and softball players. It's a busy time of year, of course, with everybody getting ready in January, February for the season into March as well, although you probably should have been getting ready in October and November, but better late than never because my partner is currently at her work facility and she's taking a break from giving lessons and coaching and teaching to do today's episode, episode 28 Cassie's Pyramid of Hitting. Looking forward to talking about this. It's a really cool image. And actually, this show is better, this episode, to follow along on the YouTube side, Softball Strength Academy, because it is a 3D version of the pyramid, and we're going to be explaining and breaking it down here today. So let me bring in friend, co-host, softball <laughs> national champion at the University of Alabama and renowned hitting instructor, coaching and coach instructor, whatever. <laughs> She's renowned in general, Cassie riley Bosch. What's going on? Thanks, Jim. Uh, all is good. It is uh, real. It is negative nine. Feels like negative sixteen right now. So, or negative six feels like negative nineteen. I found out something about you <laughs> prior to today's show that you are a Jeep gal. So, for everybody out there now, we now know what Cassie's preference, car preferences. She is um, a Jeep gal, and, mm. and by the way, she drives stick, right? Or you, you have in the past? Yes, yes. So yeah. that has been. I've had. A couple different leases. My first car was a stick. My mom used to teach me stick. I'd be in the passenger seat at like nine to like maybe 10 years old or whatever it was. And uh, she would be driving. I'd listen to the engine and I would shift for her. So I knew stick before I even knew how to drive. Um, and I prefer it. And Jeep Wranglers are one of the few cars that it actually like the standard model is the stick shift. So it's cheaper to actually get it with stick. So that was my justification for a car that does not hold uh it's a little expensive for what you get, I guess. <laughs> I have a friend who um, used to drive me around in his Jeep Wrangler. He loved this thing. It wasn't stick shift, but it was regular Jeep Wrangler. And he used to, every time he would see somebody else in a Jeep Wrangler, he'd always point at them and wave. Mm. There's like this this brotherhood or this group I didn't that I didn't know about that I guess people who drive Jeep Wranglers just point at each other like, hey, you drive a Jeep Wrangler yeah, too. It's, Although, it's like a know, little, it's like a little wave. You just wave to other Jeeps. And it was funny. I unfortunately I was in a little accident last week, uh, a couple weeks ago now, and my car's totaled. And so I don't have my Jeep anymore. And I'm in a, a couple of different rentals. But my first rental, the only rental car this or this uh, place had that my insurance company sent me to, which is a Ford Expedition, which is a beautiful car that is massive and nothing like I've driven before. But the amount of Jeeps I accidentally wave to in my Ford Expedition <laughs> driving around New York. It's, it's, no, it's a it's habit. You just, oh, yeah. It just becomes a habit. <laughs> I will say Ford Expeditions are nice. They're very big. They're considered SUVs, which I don't really understand. They should be almost considered trucks because they're it, it feels like expensive. a pickup truck with a with the top on, and that's how far the backseat extends. Yeah, it's a, it's an incredible car. I drive two hours a day, though, so the gas tank didn't appreciate that as much, but yeah, it looks like I'll be finding a different car. We'll see. We'll see what I end up in. <laughs> and as we record this today on a Saturday, this episode coming out on a Wednesday, it mm. is what nineteen degree wind chill. You mentioned so. Very cold. So yeah, it's negative negative six is the actual temperature, and then with the wind chill, it feels like negative nineteen. Um, which reminds me of when I lived in Iowa. The worst I experienced there was negative thirty six, and that was. Oh my God. Yeah. Some my friends down South are like, what does that feel like? And you know, at first it's like, it's not that bad. And then the wind blows and you realize like, this hurts. My skin hurts. My body hurts. It feels like your skin's going to just peel off because it's, oh, so it's Yeah. It's, you know, it is something off. to experience mm. one time, but definitely not something you want for prolonged periods of time. And tomorrow it'll be 42 degrees in New York. Which is, uh, which is incredible. And also too, the, the uh, disparity in, in the temperature change, but it's incredible too, that, you step outside 
and you're in that cold weather and then you look around and you see the the, the what, what do they call it I, I don't i forget what it's called you know the the snow type mist on the grass and you just look at the street and it's like frozen it's just and there's no snow but it's just frozen because it's so cold it's so cold frost yes an overnight frost it's the dew overnight that freezes frost. yeah we did have a like a dusting last night don't know we don't know much about frost yes yes was there uh, frost on the ground? There had to be frost on the ground this morning. Frost on the ground, um, but we also had a little bit of a dusting. And when it is that cold, the f- the snow is really, really fine. There's not like much, I guess, or maybe it's dry. I don't know. I'm not an expert. I just know that typically when it is that cold, you don't get thick packing snow. You get really, really fine snow. And in the worst case scenarios, you turn on your uh, defrost and the snow comes into your car. So you had to use the... Um, uh... Uh, which one called? See, I don't. Again, like I don't. A scraper to, for the window. Yeah. Yes, I don't have to do any of these things. I forget what they're called. Yeah. yeah that's that's the worst. I haven't used the scraper for the window. Yes. 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 When I used to live in the Northeast or even in the Mid Atlantic at, at, for a time, and I had to use the scraper, I would just literally scrape out the part of the of my windshield that I had to see out of, and everything else just stayed the same. That's uh, what I would do, and then not, I would just flare the defroster. <laughs> not, not. I wouldn't recommend it, but that's what I did, and I was mm-hmm. in my twenties, so I didn't. Not to get too off topic, but I remember my freshman year in college, we had an unusually cold day in uh, at the and in, in Alabama. There was the windshield had frost on it, and the whole freshman class, all five of us, jumped in the car, and we had to go to weights that day, and we were kind of cut, kind of a little close, running late. And not a single one of my teammates knew what to do with this foreign substance. We had a couple of people from Florida, Texas, Georgia. Yeah. They were like, what is this? How do we do this? And uh, so I was out there with a credit card <laughs> trying to get oh my stuff God, off the a credit card. Well, wow. I think it was probably like a library card. I don't know if we would have used an actual credit card, but we ended up driving to the weight room with a driver had her head out the window as we were going <laughs> to the so weight what, room. What, oh, so, so Ace Ventura style with the head yes, out the window. Exactly. So, so maybe it was like your ID card or something. <laughs> Probably. Yes. I don't know if any of us really, truly had credit cards. <laughs> like well, we're not, cards. uh, it could have been a debit card. Could have <laughs> been a debit card. Um, we're not experts on weather, but Cassie is an expert on hitting. And we're going to discuss that today. Episode 28, her pyramid of hitting again. It's a, a pretty cool illustration. It's a 3d triangular. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. 3d triangular pyramid. I guess. pyramid is the, yeah. 3d version or pyramid. Yeah. Um, that, mm-hmm you can watch and see because we're going to keep referencing that and you'll see the graphic on the YouTube side, softball strength Academy. If you watch the show, subscribe, if you haven't done so already, leave a review, Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, but uh, talking about the left side first. And again, there's two sides to this pyramid. And we're talking about the left side. The left side is more mental, right? And the um, right side is more mechanical. So we'll talk first about sure. the, the left side, the, the more mental side and just in general, the left side of your pyramid. Also, too, I want to I want to talk about this, and we'll get to it a little bit later. But it seems like this is the framework, just in general, this pyramid for your coaching as a hitting instructor and just as a coach in general. And it, I think, this gives a lesson to all coaches out there, all young coaches, to create a framework. And you've done that with this pyramid. You know, it it it, it basically started because I was talking to a parent, talking to an athlete, and they were asking, like, you know, do you just kind of come up with it? what they're working on when they show up. And I really wanted to try to create a way to display, no, this is, there is a progression to it. And, um, you know, the, so left side is, I mean, I guess it kind of coincides. It's really our timing progression. So how we progress timing, which, you know, obviously has, what did I say? Mental. Yeah. I meant to say timing. I'm sorry. It's all good. It's all good. So yeah, left side timing, right side's mechanical. 
And the idea is that there is a level entry to both. There is a hierarchy to how you can progress both. There are certain things you should go over before jumping to trying to get bat speed. Um, and really, you know, the, the main demonstration of this pyramid should show like, okay, but it kind of just sits on this platform of mental performance because as you get older, no matter how good your timing gets, no matter how good your mechanics get, you're going to run into this mental game ceiling, which we've talked about a ton. So, so much of this is just impacted by our mental game. And that can certainly allude to what we're, you know, what we've talked about in the past and what we're going to continue talking about in the future on this podcast. But yeah, so this is, this was why it came about. Um, but we can start on the timing side. Um, the first level of entry. So the base of this particular triangle is plane adaptation. Does the hitter actually have the understanding of where to hit each ball in space? Um, and sometimes that comes very naturally for a hitter that they are, they naturally will wait on an outside pitch. They naturally will attack the inside pitch earlier. Um, and then they, they might not know why, and that's okay. We have some hitters who don't even know how to train it. Don't even have never even been introduced to the fact that, you know what, you're, you're high, the reason you're not hitting a high pitch is not because you have a mechanical issue. It's because we're late. We're not recognizing it, whatever it may be. Um, so we go over inside, outside, high and low. That's our first level of entry to timing. Um, and before we could ever hit, a speed increase, right? We Every time we think of timing, we think like, oh, okay, I got to catch up to fast pitching. We have to actually figure out, can we control ourselves on slow pitching? Can we actually can control when we want to hit? Do we slow our bat speed down to try to hit a slow pitch? Mm-hmm. Um, but once we can check that off and say, okay, no, I'm comfortable controlling my weight shift. Now we can progress to those more difficult speed increases. Um, and then the last piece of this is live pitching. Um, and that's certainly probably the hardest thing that I can uh, replicate in the cages, um, or I can't replicate in the cages. And actually right now, if you walked outside my office door, you'd see our turf space has been taken over by our baseball population today from nine 15 to three 15 PM today. We have live pit ABs with pitchers and hitters. And do you get as many reps? No. Do you get as, are you working on something very specific with your mechanics then? No. But what we're working on is our subconscious has this ability to predict where that ball is going to go before the pitcher releases it. You face a curveball pitcher enough times and you're start you're going to start to understand, okay, something about this is telling me it's a curveball. Something about this is telling me it's a fastball, whatever that may be. And the more times we can see live pitching, it's almost like creating positive cachet in your brain. My hitting coach used to tell me that all the time when I was growing up. Um, on the internet, when you get cachet that builds up, it's the first time you go to an internet site, it might be a little slower but the next time you go, cause it's already been there, boom, it gets there faster. And so when you see pitching live pitching over and over again, you're getting your sequencing and your rhythm intact. You're getting used to seeing those spins. You're getting used to seeing that movement. Maybe you don't get there that quickly with your bat the first time. Maybe it doesn't register that quickly the first time, but the more times you see it, that positive cachet builds up, you get there quicker and quicker every single time. Okay. So plane adaptation, pitch speed decrease, pitch speed increase and then live pitching that's the order the base is plane adaptation so do you start right there every time does or does it depend on the hitter it can almost be like an evaluation right i'm i'm going through different types of and every coach is going to have like certain things they do with a hitter that says okay they you know where like an alarm will go off and they'll be like why aren't they getting this why am i throwing outside over and over again they're just not hitting it right Um, So as I'm going through that first lesson, I'm almost using this as a little eval where I'm like, cool, they completely understand how to adapt from plane to plane. Uh, I'm throwing slow. They're crushing that. I throw fast. All of a sudden things start to break down. Maybe we start there. You know, I'm I'm basically trying to see where am I going at? I'm not going to get them 
it's it's very rare that I can get an accurate read off of where they're at if I just throw them at live pitching because we can have a lot of things happen during live pitching that has sometimes nothing to do with their actual swing. And we try to start at the base and we work our way up and we start to see, okay, this is, this is our sweet spot where we're going to live where we can make the most uh, effective changes out of this hitter. Okay. So how does this apply the left side of the pyramid? All the things that we just mentioned, again, I'll, I'll say it again, plane adaptation, pitch speed, decrease, pitch speed, increase, and then live pitching. How does that, this pyramid, this left side of the pyramid, how does that apply both to softball and baseball? What are the key similarities, but what are also some of the differences and how you apply this timing progression? Sure. I think timing is, um, let's put it this way. You could have this beautiful swing mm-hmm. that has zero holes in it. And then you can, you can't time the ball up at all. Maybe you're blind. Maybe you have 2d vision. Maybe you haven't like you, you don't, you don't have your contacts in that day. So our swing isn't helping us when we actually can't time that pitch up for whatever reason. So this is, uh, of course, you need them to work in tandem with each other. You could have really great timing, but a ton of holes in your mechanics that that hold you back. But especially when we get into season, especially when we get to the point of um, we're leaving off season, timing becomes the most important aspect that I think we need to focus on. And that is for both baseball and softball. I think where things really start to change a little bit and start to differ is just as, I mean, it's honestly, I don't even know if it's a baseball softball difference. It's asking yourself, why are we looking at this in the first place? Typically softball in this area is not seeing very good pitching. So I'm living with most of my high school hitters in the speed decrease area because they are hyped up, they're ready to swing, and then they're seeing very non-competitive softball pitching. Baseball pitching, on the other hand, we have some of – we just had 25 scouts in the building yesterday looking at some local players. So we have some really live arms. A lot of my baseball hitters, I'm ramping – I'm trying to get them through this pitch speed decrease phase in order to get them to the point where they can really see some fast pitching. Right. Because what I don't want them doing, I don't want them feeling like they have to completely speed up their entire sequence because they never learned how to – properly progress it and that's what you get with speed decrease right you properly progress my timing my wait 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 now my slow to fast um and then you're actually able to adjust that faster pitching you're able to we're cranking up the pitching machine a little bit more we're adding some constraints to make the pitch seem a little faster um so that's really honestly probably the difference that that i'm seeing where my softball girls i'll wait a little longer to get to that phase um right before they go into their travel ball season so what if people watching the show could see my my face i'm very in tune i look very angry but i'm very in tune with what i'm looking at here what and listening of course what if a hitter what if you can skip levels what if they're more advanced and you don't have to work on plane adaptation you can just go almost right to pitch speed increase and then to live pitching what if they're advanced they could do that yeah and what i'll do is like okay so my advanced hitters were I know for that day we are working on pitch speed increase. Mm-hmm. I might have one warm up drill from plane adaptation, one warm up drill from speed decrease, and then we're kind of going to the bulk of our session is living in that speed increase phase, let's say. Um, but it, it, you know, in the same breath too, you're gonna know you're you're gonna get to know your hitter a ton. You're gonna know that there might be one or two things that they need to add to their warm up in order to get them feeling comfortable, confident, getting their swing warmed up to where it needs to be. Um, So I think, you know, and and for coaches too, so really jumping ahead, but what I did to develop my library to this, I was like, all right, I have all these drills. Now I have this structure and I looked at plane adaptation and I said, okay, uh, what's the very first drill I would do if I was trying to teach someone 
inside, outside, high, low, like how to hit balls in different planes. And I kept doing that. I kept doing, I said, okay, well, what would the next drill be? What would the next drill be? And I essentially came up with four levels that have 16 drills in each level. So every single segment of this pyramid has four levels and then has those 16 drills within. So it's not to say that we need every, every hitter is not going to need all 512 drills that exist in this library. That's insane. (laughs) The idea is that every hitter is going to be completely different, whether that is within their given day, whether that's post-injury, you have a level four hitter that needs to maybe go to some more basic level one and level two type swings. You have a really young hitter who's not advanced yet and and working in that level one range, whatever that may be. Um, It's trying to figure out what works best for each hitter. So a hundred percent, like, playing adaptation we're we're going right into pitch speed increase but we're still operating in level one of pitch speed increase because this individual's having a tough time and and all i care about is can we get to that level four drill with confidence and with precision and um really just the more advanced drills that exist within there yeah and this is the time of year i would think that you know you're seeing pitch speed increase and you're seeing live pitching. Uh, it's funny because i i think that what division two maybe or division three baseball they're starting up this weekend, right? It's right now. Wow. February. I didn't realize right. that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. incredible. I mean, so they're out of time, but mm-hmm. there's still a couple of weeks left in division one before they start their preseason. So, I mean, you got to really be at the top of this pyramid um, with the pitch speed increase and the live pitching and really get a feel and, and start to see those, uh, the, those types of scenarios and situations to get yourself ready for the season. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and listen, there's going to be, um, you know, this this isn't to be like oh someone shows up and and we have to start a uh, phase one and we can't advance until they advance you know we are trying to adapt to the seasonality of the athlete right we're we look at the person first the athlete second the demands of the season on that athlete so what sport they're playing and then finally the position right so we're really having to focus in on the demands of the season of this athlete because um, I. I have certain girls who in the middle of January will have indoor tournaments. And mm-hmm. um, what we'll do is we'll do like a mini ramp up where we're trying to expose them to as much stimulus as we can to get them comfortable. I have other hitters who, if I'm, if I let them know I'm making them think about timing, it really throws off their natural ability to time up a pitch. So like having very timing specific drills, I kind of have to cloak them to look like something else because they just will overthink timing. And then all of a sudden they're start they're stutter stepping through their swing. So like I said, this is a uh, this is an outline that hit that coaches can look at or hitters can look at and be like, okay, I think I fit within here. What type of drills do these look like? And now they're adding to their own personal library, to their own personal uh, toolbox for what they can go reference whenever they feel something struggling, whenever they feel themselves falling too far forward, not getting on plane, whatever it may be. So do you? So do then? Do you explain this to your students and and you give them you know, a kind of a, a just a lesson, I guess. Yeah, it's it is a very uh, cliff noted version of yeah. this, and um, and it's but hopefully you know they get it too, and I and I you know it's funny the biggest eye opening thing sometimes is like, oh other people have a hard time hitting slow pitching too, and I'm like yeah not a lot of people know how to just hold themselves back like know how to just adapt to slow versus fast pitching right because you know, you could take drills from this and be like, you know what? I think there's one more phase to this. I think the ability to adapt to both back and forth, back and forth is another phase, you know, and then you take drills from that and and make that session your own. Um, uh, There's a lot of times you can combine like, Hey, I'm going to take a live pitching drill and try to uh, adapt it or or add it to like outside pitches only. Cause we're, you know, we have a hitter who's really struggling with outside pitching. 
They know how to get to it off a tee. They know how to get to it off front toss, soft toss, but live pitching is where they struggle with it. So it's, it's a recognition thing. And now you're operating off of outside pitches, live pitching only type thing, you know, just to get them comfortable there. So again, the timing progression side of this 3d pyramid, plane adaptation, pitch speed decrease, pitch speed increase, and then live pitching. And this all has to do with timing, the left side of this pyramid. And I think timing is something that is forgotten in 2022 among a lot of coaches out there on social media, a lot of coaches that are just out there and you know, they, they focus so hard on mechanics. And we're going to get to the right side, which is the mechanical development, but they forget about how important time. I think timing is one of the most, if not the most important thing to hitting a baseball or hitting a softball. And this progression is great, this timing progression, because it really digs in for hitters needing timing and how to understand important, the importance of that timing, whether you're playing softball or baseball. Right. I mean, there's probably 256 different uh, drills relating to timing alone, um, whether that's, uh, you know, bouncing variations, self-toss variations, bouncing off of a trampoline variations. It's it's and people might look at it and be like, why am I going to have an elite level hitter self-tossing to themselves? And it's more. Well, if they can't, that tells us more about how their swing operates than if, if they can, you know, and um, sometimes that is a way more effective drill for athletes to be doing pregame than hitting off of a tee. If they are hitting off of a tee as like a all or nothing one speed, and they're not actually separating their speed and separating their sequencing like they would if they had to toss the ball up to themselves. So it, it's not always, you know, people think of timing having to be off a of front toss or, or live type stuff. There are so many different variations we can, we can operate to challenge that hitter and, and, really push that hitter into a different level of growth. All right. So moving on now to the right side, again, um, our pyramid of hitting Cassie's pyramid of hitting episode 28 <laughs> here of cross, cross function. I'm sorry about that. I almost gave myself credit. Um, episode 28 uh, Cassie's pyramid of hitting. And again, subscribe um, and follow us on social media at Jim Tara at coach underscore Cassie RB on Instagram at coach Cassie RB on Twitter, the right side of the pyramid, um, the 3D version of this pyramid. Again, people watching on the Softball Strength Academy YouTube page can understand what I'm talking about better. Positional awareness. This is the mechanical development side. Positional awareness, movement capacity, speed and power, and whip. So we'll start first, I guess, with the positional awareness. I think people can probably understand what that really means, a hitter right being aware of what their position is in the mm. box and where they need to be at a certain time in their load. Correct. I mean, yes. Um, so this, yeah, this is sounds, this, it's self-explanatory. It is. It's just way. breaking I'm down like the okay. elementary way. Right. right. It is like proprioception. Right. People talk about is it is athleticism truly defined as you knowing where your body is in space without actually having to look at your body. Right. Mm -hmm. Um and it's it's wild to see even some like high high level hitters. Hey, I'm just do me a favor. Close your eyes and go through your swing. Do me a favor. Go through your swing in slow motion. And it's like. It's, it's funny because they, they move fast, they know where it's at, but when they move slow, they don't. And so now we're at this delicate phase where do you make a hitter aware of what they're doing? Maybe not every single thing, but is it positive that they understand how to coach themselves and how to make corrections on their own? Yes. And that is what we are trying to do with this. We, we do not want the hitter having to overthink every single tiny phase of what their swing looks like, but they should be able to be in a position where they're coaching themselves. They're getting into a position where – um, they know, hey, when I'm when I'm doing this, it's because uh, my hands are in a different spot or, or my loads in a different spot. And something really common I was just working on with this is a a high level uh, minor league baseball player. He's a catcher 
And he's always mentioned how, you know, his hips get really, really tight throughout a game. And sure enough, his first two at-bats, he's sitting in his back leg really, really well. And then all of a sudden, at-bat three, at-bat four, as he's catching more and more innings, he front side of his body gets really tight. His hip flexors get really tight. His quads get really tight. And he sits in his stance, and he shoves his knee forward. And so he's sitting uh, the way more up. Back, back knee. Back knee, yeah. He shoves yeah. his back knee forward instead of sitting into his hip. So his swing starts to change just because we were lacking some positional awareness. So again, minor league hitter. Um, I'm not, we're not saying he's a, uh, low level hitter. He's certainly a high level hitter, but he just went through a few positional awareness drills and they're like, Oh, this is awesome. I can, I can feel this now. He needed it maybe one time and now he's got it in his pocket. So that's more. Okay. So then that goes to the second, um, level of the pyramid. It sounds like anyway, movement capacity. Yes. Yeah. So like, okay, so now we understand our positions. Can we move from position A to position B? Right. Um, the, I've talked with a lot of orthopedic surgeons. Um, we have hitter, we have throwers who come back after surgery and there's a very specific return to throw protocol. We have hitters that come back and they're like, well, just take five or 10 swings and then we'll build up to 20 swings and 30 swings when really, you know, there should be something a little bit more detailed to it. Like, Hey, we're going to, you're not going to go all out with these five or 10 swings. We're going to maybe go slow motion with these swings. or we're only going to focus on how you move through this portion of your swing. We're going to only focus on uh, our extension phase. We're going to focus on our finish phase, whatever that may may be and what that might look like. So Mm -hmm. I really like positional awareness and movement capacity for a couple scenarios. Number one, a young hitter who, is kind of just learning what's going on. Uh, maybe they don't have the general athleticism to watch and then do, so they learn in a little bit of a different way. Um, they're like a kinesthetic learner that needs to be put in those positions. This is helpful. An athlete coming back from injury, an athlete who has done something over and over again and kind of created an incorrect pathway that's really causing a deficiency in their swing to try to rewire that pathway, pathway for them. The main premise when I talk to these athletes is mm-hmm. we we all want to go right to speed and power. We want to swing hard. We want to do these things. But if we're training incorrect movement patterns, and we kind of talked about this when we talked about your four pillars of hitting, yeah. you're essentially not creating enough safety nets for you to be successful later on. So many times we talk about, I want to stay on plane because that's my safety net when my timing's off a little bit. Well, how do we get on plane? We have a deficiency with the back arm. I had surgery on my shoulder, and now I don't even get to that position because I never correctly rehabbed how to get back in those those correct positions. Well, and I t- I've taken a lot of notes here, but the um, the example that you used with that professional hitter that mm-hmm. you work with, it sounds like his speed and power, his whip, that's going to be compromised because he doesn't have the base of positional awareness. He doesn't have the base of the movement capacity because of the tight hip flexors or the tight quad, whatever the case, but he doesn't have that base. So he's not going to have, it's hampering his, he may have it because he's a good athlete, but it's hampering his ability to maximize his speed and power and maximize that whip when he swings. hundred percent. And he feels it too. He feels like he's having to compensate and athletes. I think a misconception is that athletes are these great movers. Athletes are really great compensators. Athletes know what the end result needs to be. And we are very good at figuring out a way to do that. Even if it's not the most efficient way, even when we have an injury, even when we have something else going on. So, um, I think that's, it's not a danger, but it, it makes it even harder sometimes to work with these athletes who are self-regulating and trying to figure out a way on their own. And all of a sudden now we're in a less than optimal position uh, for power. Um, but what I what I never wanted this mechanical development to be is that there is a, a perfect swing or an ideal swing and everything has to fall into these exact things. That's not human movement. That's not how hitters flow through their swing. Right. But there, there are certain uh, questions that you can be asking yourself as a coach 
hey, does this athlete understand this position? Can this athlete move to that position? Like how many times I've had hitters come in almost in tears that they're like, I just can't stop dropping my back shoulder. And it's due to them just having an issue with like another phase of their swing that that is leading to them to dropping that shoulder. Right. So how do we teach the hitter to coach themselves? How do we give them a hierarchy of like, all right, I know when I'm doing this, I need to go back and check these two or three drills. So on the, on the mechanical development side, where does each mechanic fall into the, the, the four, um, um, whatever shape, I'd, uh, rectangles. Uh, yeah. Where, where does trapezoid. each, <laughs> yeah. Where does each, is it? Yeah. Okay. Um, Where's each mechanic like torque, for example, or getting on plane? Well, we know we're you know, getting so, on plane. So, so ready. So in positional you know, awareness will be more step, drills yeah. that are th- there's pauses involved. You might not be hitting a ball. You're mm-hmm. uh, you're holding certain positions. We're holding the load position. We're holding a coil position. Um, it's less hitting a ball, and it's mm-hmm. going through a lot of those swings slowly with your top hand and your bottom hand. Um, Movement capacity is uh, the isometric movement. So like I'm going slow through my regular swing, then I'm coming back fast to an extension hold. I'm going slow through this particular movement pattern, then I'm coming back fast through uh, a contact hold. Whatever that may be and look like, you have definitely more movement in the movement capacity, but positional awareness is very like, okay, I'm holding this position. I'm holding isometrically in this load. And sometimes too, as a as a coach, especially because I got exposed to this on the strength and conditioning end, I have the hitter go ahead and hold the load or the launch position, right? Heel down. And I ask them, where do you feel this? And they're like, well, I feel this a ton right on the top of my knee. I'm like, Mm. okay, so your hip's not activated at all. And so we put them barefoot. We get them out of their shoes. Where do we feel it now? We're getting a little bit more in our posterior chain, a little bit more in our backside. Um, I have hitters too, who um, can't stay on plane with the ball. They come in the zone, out of the zone super quickly. So I slow things down. We get them into a contact position where they're connected. It's causing them to lengthen their QL, lengthen their lat on their on their uh, front side. And I have them hold there. I say, what do you feel? And they're like, this hurts my back. I'm actually getting some back pain. And so we come out of it. And it's no wonder, again, why the body didn't let them stay on plane. The body's not allowing them to get in that position. We need to actually take an even further step back. Now, now we have a pain trigger, right? You know, so it's it's really valuable, I think, sometimes to just get athletes very slowly into those positions and see, okay, your, your warm-up drills are probably not with a bat in your hand. Your warm-up drills might look very different with some plank variations or, or hip variations, whatever whatever the cause of that pain might be. Yeah, sure, sure. And so speaking of like warm-up drills and just drills in general, how do you go about choosing a drill that would fit that hitter based off their mechanical development or the timing progression side? Yeah, it's so the levels certainly help. The levels are a little bit of a guide, right? So you're not going to look at 512 drills and be like, uh, where do I pick now? You're going to be like, it's okay. overwhelming, right? Yeah, right. my hitter, I'm going to zoom into plane adaptation. Now I have four levels. And you would, you would basically, you might not know exactly what level, but you're going to be able to say, you know what, they're either a level one or, or two, they're either a level three or four, or they might be in the middle, they're two or three. So you're really only looking at 32 drills. And what you're saying is, okay try this one out. Let's see how this feels. Feels good. Awesome. Let's try the next one out. How does that feel even better? Cool. And you kind of keep moving along. You don't have to do every single one. You could, you could do one and skip four and see, and, and know you're trying to find where that sweet spot is. It's, it's a hierarchy. Again, it's my hierarchy. So hopefully my hope with this is that coaches look at this and is like, this is great. I'm actually going to move it around like this because this makes sense for my hitters. You know what I mean? This is my own, you know, basically creating something of their own. The idea of this is this is just the system. This is the skeleton and coaches can then apply their own meat, their own layers to this, to make it, make it their own. 
Yeah, and I was wondering with that the the framework and the system. How did you come up? I mean, because it's it's brilliant that you've come up with this. But is it? How did you come up with this framework? And it, it actually is this the framework and system that you work in to where I don't want to say you can almost plug and play at that point with your athletes and hitters because you have to still be very adaptable as a coach. But this is a great system and and a framework that you can use here going forward with each athlete and help them reach their maximum potential based off what you've created. Uh, well, thanks. I, I appreciate it. But yeah, it's, you know, it's funny. We had a, um, we had an Olympic weightlifting coach come in 2004, 2015. So spring of 15, we had been open for less than a year. Mm-hmm. And she had talked about when she works with athletes, she had a single triangle and all she talked about was uh, for Olympic lifting for a safety protocol. Can, can they, um, can they feel their positions? Can they, moved through their positions so like again holds right isometric holds and then eat eat like slow uh tempoed movement was her next thing that she would do to teach a movement then she would make them go really lightweight and go fast and then she would add heavy weight so i had that as like i always thought like that's really really cool for weightlifting and then i kept trying to ask myself how would i do that for hitting how would i do that for hitting and it it kind of applied for a little bit but then i finally took a step back and i'm like all right hang on if we only focus on movement, they're going to be a really good swinger. And if we only focus on movement and timing, they're going to be a really good practice player. And if we somehow able to combine the movement capacity or really their movement ability, their timing ability, and now their mental performance ability, now we have a hitter. And that was really the three prongs. Now I've tried over and over again to think of like, okay, is there a third side of this pyramid that's mental game? But I really don't think so. I think mental game is the base or the foundation or the, whatever, it's just this infinite pool that this thing sits in because mental performance again is just, it's going to be so different based on person to person. Um, it's Mm going to blend with their own personal experiences coming into it. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's not important. It's, it's probably the most important thing, especially when a hitter gets older. So the progressions part, and we'll, we'll tie, tie up the, tie the bow on the show today. (laughs) So 28 of, um, cross functionality, Cassie's pyramid of hitting, the progression part of the pyramid, when do you know exactly when a hitter is ready to move on to that next phase, right? So for example, move on to movement capacity, to speed, power, or on the other side, the pitch speed increase to live pitching. When do you know, or is there not just an inexact science where you just really don't know when the hitter's ready to go and it's kind of trial and error, trial by fire? It's, it's probably a little bit of both. I, so on this pyramid now I have these questions that says, okay, can I, can the hitter adapt to pitches based on a varying location? Yes. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Let's move up. You know, for the most part, yes. Can I, can the hitter control their weight shift in order to wait for a slower pitch ball? Hey, yeah, let's do it. Let's move up. You know, so we have these questions in, in place now, but it also doesn't mean that just because the hitter's main focus is playing adaptation, that doesn't mean that they're not getting minor exposures to other things where I'm really, I'm, I might really try to challenge them and be like, okay, I'm going to throw this one drill at them right now and see how they respond to it. Um, and that is, that's just the part of being a coach, right? It's the reason there's not robots. There's a reason it's, it's us. We're in there with them. We're, we're, you know, I don't know if you're ready for this yet, but I'm going to try. I'm going to see, I'm going to throw this at you and see if you are ready for it. Um, and sometimes you see hitters that, you know, they fail at first and then we, we introduce that drill again a month later and they realize like, shoot, I'm doing much better at this now. And it's for them, it's their own personal, like, cool, I've, I've grown at this. So 
it, again, it doesn't have to be this exact science where these are the only two phases you work at, but it's certainly, honestly, where it's helped me the most is when I'm in a team setting environment and I have eight to 12 weeks, let's say to work with a team. And I say, okay, listen, the first two weeks we're working on this. The next two weeks, we're going to progress to this. And it's, again, I only get one time a week with those guys. I'm trying to give them stuff so they can go home and linearly, linearly progress through this, especially because I know I got eight weeks with them. How many times do I have an individual client come in and it's, I don't know if they're going to come back again. I don't know how often they're going to come back, but when I get a team that's locked in or, you know, college coaches can relate to this, you know, you have your team for X amount of weeks, X amount of months. Um, you can kind of start to create, Hey, I, I want to make sure we're focusing on speed and power at this time. And Hey, I'm talking to the strength and conditioning coach too. We're also going to be doing that in the weight room. So it's in conjunction. Um, I think conversations like that become important and, and progressions like that become important for our sport. So is this the uh, overall coaching framework for softball strength Academy, the pyramid. It is. Yes. Yeah. It's, and you know, it's neat. Cause if you talk to, I, I did a presentation um, two years ago at the world softball convention and I introduced the framework and the whole part, the whole, the, I think the title of the talk was creating a system for hitting development. Right. So, and coaches, I was like, so excited to introduce the system. And I was like, and with this system, I've created this drill library. And it was like this spreadsheet of my drills. And I thought I was going to get all these questions about my cool system. And all they wanted was just like, how do I get access to the drill library? I'm like, but you don't want to create your own drill library. You don't want to right. use my, my, my stuff. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Very, so it's thank really, you very yeah, much. And, and listen, I'm in such a fortunate position where I get to focus on just hitting. There's so many coaches who their job is to do hitting and pitching and fielding and defense. Oh, and handle all the travel stuff. Like there's a lot that's placed on coaches. So yeah, sometimes they want to just be handed. This is the drill library and they can kind of pick and choose from there. Um, but like I said, this is not supposed to be like a cemented thing. This is really just supposed to be something hitting uh, hit, hitters and hitting coaches can use for, creating their own and, and, and working their way through their own toolbox and, and what's going to work for, for everybody. All right. Very good. Well, next week, episode 29, if you missed any part of today's episode you can go back and of course in the archives and rewind or fast forward, go back and listen to previous episodes, watch on softball strength Academy, YouTube page um, next week though. And as we alluded to last week, the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about hitting as the season ramps, ramps up the college baseball season, of course, on the division one side is beginning very soon. Spring training is also going to be starting up here for uh, big league guys. And then of course, minor league camp in March, but next week we are discussing the mental side, more of the mental side of hitting. I've talked a lot about the mental side of hitting with Jake Epstein on the left Epstein hitting podcast numerous times. In fact, we'll probably talk at least touch on it once a week. And next week, Cassie and I will be discussing the mental side of hitting, which cannot be uh, overlooked by any means, by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, I would say uh, when I was standing at the World Series, I say this all the time. There's the eight best teams in the country. And I looked, I'm mm -hmm. like, everyone here has a good swing. Everybody here has a good swing. Everyone here is really good at timing. Everyone here is really good at mechanics. Why is this person batting 400? This person batting 200? Why is this person sitting the best bench? And then this person uh playing and i you know you go back to like at and i think that's why playoffs are so fun to watch and at that elite level what actually separates us you know what actually makes one person beat the other person and um at that point i do think it's your mental performance yeah so we'll be discussing that mental side of hitting next week if you have any questions email us jimbo podcast 21 at gmail.com we appreciate you listening and watching we'll talk to you next week.